Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. Who needs to serve? That's those who are saved. Uh, what needs to be served? That's everybody. Every people group needs to be served. When do we serve? Well, we make the decision now. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Where do we serve? We serve uh, personally in our day-to-day life outside of the church, but we also serve within the confines of the church as well, as we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. And why do we serve? Well, because there's a need at Liberty. There's a need in Easton. And because God has chosen us to meet that need. And we saw that he chooses the weak things to confound the wise. And I don't know about you, but I feel pretty weak. And I feel like the foolish, uh, but yet God has chosen us to be able to confound those uh, who seem to be more credentialed, who seem to know more. But yet, uh, I'll say this, if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you lack of nothing in this life. And that we just need to appropriate that power that God has given us. But tonight, I want us to consider this thought. This morning, we saw that we were saved to serve. But this evening, I want us to see this. I want to serve, but how? I want to serve, but how? And I do think it's interesting that the composition of the group that we have tonight, uh, as is oftentimes the case on Sunday night, those who are more experienced believers, but then also who are still young in the faith. And there's not much in between. We have a lot who have been serving the Lord for some time, and we have uh, a few as well who are younger in their faith. And I think it's important for all of us to be able to take time and take stock into how it is uh, that we are to be servants of the Lord. It just doesn't happen by accident. It just doesn't happen because we think it's going to happen. But there is something that we should purposely be doing uh, to be servants of God. Now, as we get into this here this evening, I do want to say uh, I've had some people that have been very impactful in my life. I've only had three pastors in my life. Uh, three pastors is all I've ever had, not counting my Lutheran pastor for 16 years. Uh, but I've had three pastors uh, since I've gotten saved and been an independent Baptist. The first uh, of those pastors was Pastor Bruce Turner. He's pre- preached here uh, several different times. In fact, uh, he was Marsha's pastor. His wife led Marsha to the Lord uh, years before he had been in Tampa. And uh, he pastored Westgate Baptist Church, which at the time that he was pastoring was a church that ran around four to 500 people. And uh, then I went to Southwest Baptist Church in Oklahoma City when I was in Bible college. And Brother Sam Davison was the pastor there, who's also been here several times, a strong preacher of the word of God as well. And he preached a church that was, well, at least double of that size. Then I went back to Westgate and worked for Brother Turner. So he was still my pastor for an additional five years. And then those last two years before we hit the road and came here to Liberty, uh, I was uh, under the ministry of Pastor George Pert, who it just so happens, has also been here and preached at Bethany's graduation uh, here just a few weeks ago and has been here multiple times through the years uh, for several different occasions. And again, at that time, uh, Westgate was running anywhere from 300 to 400 or so uh, people. You say, Pastor, why are you saying that? Well, under any given ministry, I was in such large ministries, I didn't really have a lot of time with the pastor. I didn't get to spend a lot of time with my pastor. When you have 500 members or 1,000 members in your church, you don't get a lot of face time with the pastor. Now, I'll say all of them exhibited qualities and characteristics 
to make it easy to approach them. I'm thankful, especially Brother Sam Davison. He would stand out in the lobby after any service, and he'd shake hands and talk with people until pretty much the last person was gone. He wanted to make sure that if anyone had a need, uh, he was able to take care of it, and he was uh, one who showed me that, as well as Brother Turner and Brother Pert as well, don't get me wrong, but I especially remember that of Brother Sam. But uh, what sticks out for me in my Christian experience, again, growing up in a home that I went to church, but that I didn't know the Lord, there was so much that I needed to learn about the Lord. There was so much that I needed to learn about the word of God. There was so much I needed to learn about service. I didn't really learn it from any of those three men. Now, that may sound odd to you, but follow me for a second. Sure, there was preaching that they gave and there was teaching that they gave from the pulpit. Uh, but most of what I learned about ministry, most of what I learned about service, most of what I learned about walking in the Christian life actually came from dear servants of God in the church that had never stepped a foot into Bible college, that had never taken a college course of any kind, uh, that dealt with the Bible, uh, that never had been ordained, that didn't have any credentials whatsoever. All they had done was faithfully serve the Lord for many, many years. And I think of those people, and I could name some of those people tonight. Some of them names might, you might be familiar with, with me naming them so many times over the years. Uh, uh, names like Joel Julian, uh, and his wife, Peggy, uh, uh, the, the Kitchen family, who now happens to be investing in Bethany, who is there. The Kitchens are in their 90s uh, and still faithful to Westgate Baptist Church and uh, just had Bethany over for lunch just a few weeks ago. And we're showing her pictures of when the church was established in the 1950s. Think about that for a second. But those are the kind of people that invested in me over times, real servants of the Lord. It's not that pastors shouldn't be servants. Hello, we should be. But what makes a church really work and run is not just the fact that a pastor is a servant, but that everyone who is inside the church is able to invest in everyone else. So instead of it just being an organizational chart that's from the top down, that it's an organizational chart that, sure, the pastor has been called to be the head of the ministry. Of course, Christ is the head, but humanly speaking, but that really the organizational chart here is a lot like a web because we all connect with one another. We all help one another. It's not the pastor pouring into you alone, but it's that we all pour into each other. That's when church works best. So we have to ask ourselves if that's going to be the case, even at a smaller church like Liberty Baptist Church, where it's not even possible for me to invest as much as I want to in everybody with a membership of around 40 or 50 people. Uh, it's hard for me to be able to do, especially with some of the challenges and the difficulties that our family has with health and other things. Uh, I believe it's God's plan for all of us to be servants. It's God's plan for all of us to be able to invest in other people. And it doesn't have to be a chore. It doesn't have to be a bore. It doesn't have to be something that's somewhere in between the excitement level of doing your taxes and going to the dentist. Because like I mentioned this morning, to many people, that's what Christian service is like. Well, I have my taxes, I have the dentist, and probably serving in church is somewhere mixed up in there. You're, you know, it might be a little different for you, but somewhere, that's where it is. There is nothing better than serving God. There is nothing greater than being able to know you've invested in other people and that God used you, a weak vessel, to do things you could never do on your own. To realize when you go home on a Sunday that you invested in someone's life. And that you know, even in your own self, there's barely anything in you to be able to invest in someone else. But that God chose you and that God enabled you and God helped you. Well, how do we do that? That's what we want to look at here tonight 
at a text that we have looked at before, and I'd like us to revisit here tonight for the purpose of what we're trying to accomplish when it comes to Christian service. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're only going to read one verse. I'm going to have you remain seated because you might get whiplash standing up and sitting down. So you can remain seated tonight. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 58, where it says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's read it one more time together. Just read it with me to yourself as I read it out loud, but with some thought. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Well, I hope that you've been here at Liberty long enough to know in your Bible study and Bible interpretation that anytime we see the word therefore in a text, Let's just say we parachute into a text. Uh, we're studying a text and we see the word therefore. We want to stop and we want to see why that word therefore is therefore, right? It's the same with wherefore. We, we know that a point has already been made. And so we would not really get the full context of what's being said without understanding what has come before. And so it says, therefore, because of what happened before, this is what you need to do as a servant of the Lord. Well, what's come before? Well, what's come before in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 is a lot of the most foundational doctrines and teachings of the entire word of God. What's the chapter of 1 Corinthians that gets all the attention? Well, that would be 1 Corinthians 13, wouldn't it? We just talked about it not that long ago. The charity chapter, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, but really, if you were to take 1 Corinthians 13, I mean, how do you compare one chapter against another and say which one's more important? I don't know that you can, but uh, I would say this, although 1 Corinthians chapter 13 gets all the attention, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 may have some of the deepest teachings that you will find in all of the word of God. For instance, you'll see a detailed explanation of the gospel starting at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the start of the chapter. You'll see a defense of the resurrection of Christ, why the resurrection of Christ was necessary, because without the resurrection of the Christ, we have no hope, because that was the stamp of approval of everything that Christ did on the cross. If Christ sacrificed himself on the cross, died and was buried, and did not rise again, then that means that what he did was not authentic, that he was an imposter, uh, that he was not doing anything of value. But yes, the resurrection proved he was who he said he was. Uh, there was a reminder of the rapture and the second coming of Christ here in 1 Corinthians 15, but then also hope for the believer who has died in Christ. And some of the most uh, wonderful verses that you'll ever hear uh, at a uh, funeral will be for, uh, verse number 54, death is swallowed up in victory. Verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. Uh, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just a few days ago, I went over to uh, the cemetery, the Furnace Village Cemetery, right around the corner from where we live. I usually go there about two or three times a year because there's two plots of land that I like to check and make sure that's still in good repair. One is for Penny Yesikevich, uh, where she was buried. And right next to Penny Yesikevich is Dave Peters, uh, who uh, Karen Peters' husband, uh, who passed away. And about two or three times a year, just when the Lord prompts my mind, uh, I drive over there and I just check to make sure the plot is still in good repair and there's nothing wrong with the signs or uh, anything that's around there. Uh, but I'm so glad that when I go there and I stand next to the plot of a Penny Yesikevich or the plot uh, of a Dave Peters, that I realize that, that that's not the end 
uh, then I realize that that's just the beginning, isn't it? And that there may be death, but there is no loss there, that that's a victory because Jesus Christ has given the victory. And that placard may say that Dave Peters is there, but Dave Peters isn't there. He's seated in heavenly places. He's walking on streets of gold today. And Penny Yesikevich, uh, that may be that, that, that her body uh, may be there. But friend, can I tell you that Penny Yesikevich is very much alive today and is seated in the heavenlies and walking on those same streets of gold. And I can't wait to see him and I can't wait to fellowship with him. And the older I get, and I'm not that old, but the older I get, I realize why they say heaven's getting sweeter. As you know, people that from this life when you were younger that have slipped away into eternity and now you realize someday that more of the people that you love and that you fellowship with and you miss are up there and there's fewer of those people down here and I could see why it would be sweeter but it's only sweeter because of the death the burial, the resurrection uh, of Jesus Christ because of the hope of the second coming, uh, because of the hope that we have in heaven. And that is the gospel. And that's all 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, you see why it's important? Because God has given us so much. Remember, we saw on Wednesday night from Psalm 106, we could praise him all of our life and we could not exhaust the praiseworthy things to say of our God. He has done so much. And if you read 1 Corinthians 15, there's no parallel in many ways to it anywhere else in the word of God. And because of all of these wonderful things that I just explained to you, as I see you, as you're listening to me, nodding your head and smiling, uh, some of you smiling and uh, uh, seemingly uh, following along with where I am, it says all of these wonderful things have taken place. Therefore, meaning this, what are you going to do with this? What do we do with this? And that's really where we come to the point of, I want to serve, but how? And in our text, Paul says that because of these wonderful truths that I just shared with you, we as beloved brethren, and by the way, that's a wonderful term, beloved brethren. We're not just brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ. We're beloved brethren. And if Paul believed us to be the beloved brethren, and I believe God has called us the beloved brethren because he's the one who inspired this, we ought to consider each other the beloved brethren. I'll wait to get an amen or two. We ought to consider each other the beloved brethren, uh, because if God has called us beloved, then we should consider each other beloved as well. Uh, isn't that what James three talks about? He says, how can give you a rough summary of James chapter three? How can you run down someone who's a creation of God? Can the same fountain give forth sweet water and bitter? Can the same tree give forth bad figs and good figs? And how can we uh, look at someone and say, God is good, and then look at someone he created and say, they're not good. So we have to remind ourselves that we are beloved brethren. But that's not even the message here tonight. There's these several things that I see, and they're circled here in my Bible, and I want to share them with you. And I have shared them with you before, but I believe uh, in a little bit of a different way. But I want to share them with you tonight just as a reminder for us, especially on a Sunday like this, where there's sheets of paper staring at us in the back, uh, uh, just calling out for names to go on them, uh, for people to help and people to get involved, uh, not just in this church, but in our personal uh, service as well. First of all, number one, we are to be steadfast. You see that right there in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. That word steadfast is a compound word. That word stead means in place, in place. And then we are to be fast. Now, that doesn't mean that you've got to be able to run like a flash down the road. That's not what it's talking about. But you ever heard of someone saying uh, to fasten something? Well, of course, we use that term often. That means fixed in a certain position. So what does steadfast mean? Uh, it means that we are to be fixed in a certain position or in a certain place. 
That, that's what it means to be steadfast. We're to be fixed. We are to be fastened in a particular place uh, or a particular position. And Paul says that we're to be fixed in place in service. He says here, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast in the work of the Lord. Now, that's not taking the word of God and twisting it, because look, a few words later, it says in the work of the Lord. We're to be steadfast in what? The work of the Lord. Unmovable in what? The work of the Lord. Uh, abounding in the work of the Lord. We are to be steadfast in the work of the Lord. This means this, that we have to decide we are going to stick to the word of the Lord, or rather the work of the Lord, and do what God has called us to do. I thank the Lord that I've met people who have been Sunday school teachers for 30, 40, 50 years. I happen to know uh, one of them who's been a Sunday school teacher for a while. Uh, I'm thankful that I've known women uh, that have worked in nurseries uh, from uh, their very young age all the way into an elder age. And that's just a ministry that they've done for a long, long time. So much that they uh, change diapers of maybe one generation, two generations, maybe even three generations. What an amazing thing that is to be able to do that uh, in the same church. Uh, I've known uh, teachers who have had classes for 10, 20, 30 years or more. I look at Glenn Zada, who has preached here before from Lighthouse Baptist Church. Uh, he's a friend of this church. And if you've ever done John and Romans over at Lighthouse, well, you know Glenn Zada. You can't not know Glenn Zada if you've ever met him. Uh, and he's taught a Sunday school class at Lighthouse. Now, I want to say for 30 some years, he has taught the class. I remember when I was a teenager coming to New England on our senior trip, and we went to what was then called Baptist Temple, and he was teaching in Sunday school, and that was the year 2000. And he was teaching far before that as well. I remember because he kept talking about Peter, and I thought he was talking about pita bread, and I didn't realize he was talking about Peter. I was not with it like I am now about how we speak up here. And so, uh, you know what I look at those people? Steadfast. You know what Liberty Baptist Church needs? We need folks that are willing to be steadfast, willing to serve. And I know that God moves people different places, and that's his business. I can't decide when people move and when they don't. Uh, listen, you don't want me to decide when people should move or when we shouldn't. Uh, that's God's decision, and we accept that. I would have loved to have looked at the tip ladies when they came to my office. And I knew why they came to my office that day, because they never want to come to my office. And all of a sudden, they did, and I knew what they were doing. I would have loved to have looked at them and say this, uh, God told me you can't go. But you and I both know that that's not the way it works, is it? That we want them to follow God's leadership. But I do am thankful that there are some people, I believe, that God has steadfast to be fixed. That as a church grows, as a church is young, there's some people, they don't just come and go like pilgrims, but they're willing to literally put a place in the ground and build. He brings some for a time, but he makes others that are steadfast. And by the way, that even if someone isn't steadfast in the same place, they can still be steadfast as God moves them from place to place. That they realize, well, maybe God has moved us to a new place. But in the meantime, when we go to that new place, we're not just going to go on the shelf. We're going to be able to do what God has called us to do. The steadfast isn't always just being in the same location for the rest of your life. It's that wherever God leads you, you have the same heart. I am fixed. I am going to serve because this is who I am. We need a firm conviction that service to the Lord is our highest priority. Service to the Lord isn't after sports, isn't after recreation, it isn't after everything else is done, and then what uh, we give God what's right, uh, or we give God what's left instead of what's right. I got it wrong I, the first time. Yeah, we, we give God what's left and not what's right. What do we do? We give God what's right and not what's left. And, and I can tell you, you say, well, well my, my life will be so out of balance if I do that. Do you know the more I serve the Lord, uh, the more in balance it seems like everything is? Now, I'm not saying we have to be careful because even in our service to the Lord, we still have to make sure we're taking care of our family. Hold on a second. Even in our service to the Lord, we still have to make sure we're taking care of our family. There are times for me 
that I have to make sure that I'm not so gung-ho about what I do at the church uh, that I don't take care of the needs of my wife or the needs of my children. Uh, that's important, and you need to make sure of that in your own life as well as God leads you. Uh, but at the same time, we must be steadfast in what God has called us to do. But we're also to be this, number two, we're called to be stable. We're called to be steadfast, but we're called to be stable. Because it says steadfast, unmovable. Uh, now, those may sound the same, and they are similar, but there is a difference. Uh, steadfast means to get on a spot. Unmovable or stable means once you get on that spot, stay on that spot. Uh, it, it reminds me of, uh, of someone who is playing football and they're in the trenches. Uh, what do they need to do when they're on that line? Uh, the offensive line's job is to be able to make sure that they plant themselves and that they don't get pushed backwards. Now, I heard that Tom Brady's got some problem with an offensive line doing that, it seems like, lately. Uh, maybe he should have stayed up here. But anyway, uh, you know, uh, is, is it you, you are, 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 are uh, affixed and then you are not going to move from there? And so it's one thing to plant a flag and say, well, yeah, you know, I, I liked what the pastor said about that. I mean, I was really moved. I was really touched by that. Uh, but then two months from now to not be serving, because you know what's going to happen between now and two months from now? Life. Obligations. Difficulties. Satan certainly will not like the fact that you are serving the, lo the Lord in a greater capacity in his church and he's going to find ways to discourage you to dissuade you from doing that uh, but yet we must be stable uh, we must be unmovable that we take to the spot and we affix ourselves uh, to the spot we are to be fixed uh, in our service to the lord uh, and that nothing should be able to shake us uh, from his house and from his work you know new christians take some time to learn that don't they and that's okay because there's a lot new christians have to learn Sometimes people get frustrated, new Christians. Well, why don't they understand they have the Holy Spirit? Well, sure, they have the Holy Spirit in them, uh, but they still need to be taught. Uh, that Holy Spirit will tell them that that teaching is correct. It will confirm uh, what's already there. Uh, but at the same time, they need to learn. I, you didn't know it all the first day you got saved. You know how I know that? You still don't know it all. And you know how I know that? Because I know your pastor and he doesn't know it all. And he's always trying to learn and always trying to. In fact, when I start to think I know it all, I realize, yeah, that's a good sign. I don't know it all. We were just talking before service and Miss Doris was showing the, the plaque around and she was saying, well, I'm not any of these things on there, you know, uh, faithful and this and that. And I said, well, if you thought you were, then you probably wouldn't get the plaque. The people who think they should get plaques probably shouldn't. And the people who think they shouldn't probably should. And we are to be uh, stable. You're not stable when you're a new believer, but the older you get in the Lord, not the older you get in age necessarily, because people come to the Lord at different ages, but the older you get in the Lord, you should uh, uh, strive to be more stable, to be uh, more unmovable in your uh, service to the Lord. Um, there are some who have lost their steadfastness as a servant. Uh, they, they've wandered. They have uh, gone away from what God has called them to do. Maybe they used to be faithful, but they're not anymore. And can I help you with this? Uh, some of you who are in a older bracket here, you can't serve the Lord in the way that you used to. There are some things that you used to do physically you can't do anymore. I understand that. I'm dealing with some of that even myself right now. What, there's uh, these issues with my legs right now, dealing with my surgery from last year, and I can't go out and walk and do put out John Romans like I used to. I, I love doing that, going out, John Romans and door hanging, and they say that I can't really do any extra walking, and I can't do any running until the spring, and so I, I can't do that anymore. But could you imagine me saying, well, if I can't serve God the way I want to, then I'm not serving him anymore. 
Well, if I can't go out and put a John Romans on someone's door, then forget it. I'm not even going to get the gospel anymore. You'd say, well, that's a silly thing to do. But, you know, I notice that some believers, as they get to the older phases of their life in ministry, uh, they start to decide if they can't do some of the things they used to, then they just won't serve the Lord anymore. And, and I don't feel like that with the group that we have here. But I will say, guard yourself against that. Guard your heart against that. Because Satan will start to whisper in your ear that you, because you can't do what you used to do, that you're not as valuable to the Lord. But I've brought this up over and over again. Some of the most valuable people, some of the people who did some of the most amazing things for God did so in what we would call the fourth quarter of their lives. A Daniel. Uh, a, a Job was later in life. Uh, Noah was later in life. Uh, we, Moses, who we saw this morning, w- was 80 years old when he really finally start, got going for the Lord. Uh, Joshua would have been older when he finally took command in the last phases of his life. No, God can use you. Just be stable. Uh, be unmovable. Uh, you, you may have served the Lord before, but continue to serve him, even if what it looks like changes a little bit. We're to be steadfast. We're to be stable. But also, our work is to be substantial. Our work is to be substantial. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. Uh, what does that word abounding mean? Well, it means exactly what you think it means. If something's abounding, you've got a lot of it. You know, if your bank account's abounding, you're doing all right. Uh, no, if, uh, you know, if you have a, a pest problem in your house and it's abounding, you're not all right. But it means you've got a lot of it, doesn't it? And so it says that our work in the Lord is to be abounding. Uh, that we are to not just give the Lord a little bit to try to placate him. Well, if I do just a little bit, maybe God will be happy. No, our work should be abounding. Now, that doesn't mean we always see the fruit of it. You know, I would hasten, or I would, I would wonder, how many nursery workers get to see the fruit of their labor? In fact, probably quite the opposite. They're changing a lot of diapers, aren't they? Uh, they? They probably don't get to see a lot of the... Uh, here, here's a Sunday school teacher uh, teaching the word. I mean, they're giving it out. And then maybe someone comes up to the teacher after class and says, oh, I need to get saved. And, and they go home and, and, and that teacher says, I got to win someone to Christ today. And, and they think that's a great day. But then there's the nursery worker. Sunday morning, in and out, year after year. What fruit do they have? They've been changing diapers running kids around, trying to teach them about Jesus. Hey, now let's, let's sing a little song about Jesus. And they go, bleh, 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 and they run off and scream. Let me ask you, whose work is the one that's abounding? Well, I wouldn't be so quick to just say it's the teacher and not the nursery worker because all are important. All are needed. And the work that gets done in the background, the work that doesn't get seen, I believe oftentimes gets rewarded more by God than the one that everyone sees. There's a lot of pastors. I've said this before. A lot of pastors who's going to be a lot farther back in the line of rewards uh, at the judgment seat of Christ in front of some dear saints uh, that were uh, in their same churches who quietly, faithfully, were maybe praying for their pastor, praying for the ministries, serving down in the basement in a ministry that some people forgot was even part of the church anymore doing something a lot of people wouldn't want to do. 
maybe going out and mowing the lawn every other weekend. Somebody didn't even know who it was that mowed it. They just can know that, oh, maybe the lawn fairies came and it was just magically mowed every couple of weeks. No, some people think that just stuff just happens. They wander in the church and, and the angels came uh, and with their wings, they just uh, swooped everything up off the floor and all of a sudden all the trash cans were changed and everything's clean and that's the way it is. Some people don't give a lot of thought to it. Uh, that's just the way it is. But, but you're telling me that someone that cleans a church on a Saturday, so when they come, folks come in on a Sunday, uh, so that the house of the Lord is clean and that they're not distracted by mess everywhere, uh, uh, that that's not important in the eyes of God? It is. But some people, well, unless I can't be a trustee, I mean, it's just, I don't know what, I, I mean, I will be a trustee or above. I'll be a Sunday school teacher or above. Now, no one in this room has ever said that. And I would say this, no one in this room has even exhibited that uh, or, or even uh, subliminally tried to give me that type of idea. But I've been around believers who have done just that. And you probably have too. They don't want to be sullied with the little work. They want to do something of substance for God. Those are the kind of people that I want to say, if you want to do something for substance of God, grab a broom. Grab a dustpan. You could be like those in just the last few weeks that I've seen uh, two different uh, members of this church that I've watched outside this window as I'm doing something here while everybody's saying, oh, the pastor, isn't he great? Isn't he wonderful? Well, actually, I don't know anyone who's saying that. But let's just, let's just pretend for a moment for my ego's sake. Oh, isn't he great? Isn't he wonderful? And I've seen two different men walking past here, uh, one with a, a wet vac and one with a mop and a broom, mop and a bucket. Because everyone's watching me, but they're doing stuff back there that nobody else knows what's going on. Let me ask you. Who gets rewards in heaven? Oh, the pastor, because he's up there, he's preaching, he's, ex he's expositing the word of God. I'll tell you this, you, you, you don't even know ministry until you've tried to, to, to plunge a toilet in your Sunday best. You haven't lived yet, let me tell you, that's real living right there, friend. Uh, but uh, what do we do? We're abounding. You say, pastor, is the point to this? Yes, the point is this, is that our work for the Lord is to abound. That it's not to be less and less. It's to be more and more, but that doesn't mean that it looks the way we think it looks. It says, Lord, I'm willing to do a little bit more. And it kind of goes along with our giving to the Lord. Do you feel like this with, I was just talking with, with someone about this a few days ago, when it comes to missions, I feel like every few years, I'm like, I can't go any more than this. This far and no further. I mean, I can't give any more to missions. I mean, what, what, what is that crazy? I mean, there's no way I can do it. And it just seems like if I do a little bit more, God always provides. Give a little bit more. But isn't it that way with our service to the Lord too? And again, I know we have to be careful with our families. I know that we have to be careful because God hasn't just given us the church, but he's also given us responsibilities other places as well. I'm mindful of that, and I don't want to give the appearance or the idea that I'm trying to be a slave driver, that everyone should be in this church 40 hours a week. That's the way it is. No, 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 friend. I don't think that's right at all. But I don't think there's much of a danger of us saying, you know what, I, I could do a little bit more to abound for the Lord. Even if it's just more, you know, I think I'm doing everything I can do at the church right now, but I could give 10 minutes a day more to prayer for the church. I give 10 minutes more a day, a day for this prayer. Lord, send forth laborers into the harvest. And you know what might happen? You might find that you pray that long enough and the Lord says, you're that laborer or you're one of the laborers that he'll send. Why? Because we need to abound. So we are to be steadfast. How do we do this? How do we serve? We're to be steadfast. We're to be stable. Uh, our work is to be substantial. But I also see this, number four, our work is to be of substance. Our work is to be of substance. It says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. 
for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, doesn't that go along with what we just said uh, for those who feel like no one even sees me? Nobody even cares. What's the point of what I'm even doing? It doesn't even seem like it's helpful. I, I'm working on a van. I'm, I'm taking care of landscaping. I'm, I'm helping Diane decorate the building. I mean, what possible good, what possible rewards could come from something like that? But it says this, know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, what does that word vain mean? Well, that word vain means empty. Because remember, if we take the Lord's name in vain, that doesn't mean that we necessarily curse using the name of the Lord. It means we use the name of the Lord in an empty way, that we don't give it the value that it deserves. If you just throw around the name of the Lord uh, like you would throw around any other name, that's taking it in vain, even if you're not cussing, quite honestly, uh, because God's name is higher than any other name. And so we treat that name with respect. We don't leave it in vain. And so to take God's name in vain means for his name to have an emptiness, which obviously shouldn't be the case. But it says this, know this, that if you are steadfast, if you are stable, if your work is substantial, uh, that your labor will not be in vain. Meaning this, it will have some substance. The work that we do is of substance and it's of value. And even if you feel like it doesn't matter, it matters. You know, I visit people. This is going to be hard for you to believe. I visit people on a regular basis now more than I have ever pretty much any time since the church started. Do you know I visit some people and believe it or not, some of them don't come to church. I thought you'd be really surprised by that. Some of them even tell me they'll come on Sunday and then don't. Sometimes I go to a door and I knock. And no one answers. Sometimes I knock and I see the peephole get dark. And then light again. And still nobody answers. So here's the question. Was it a waste? I've had people make visits on Saturday. Come back and say, hey, how'd it go? Oh, pastor, we were 0 for 3. And, and I get the sentiment. I do. Because it's a little bit frustrating to go make visits and, and you go to three houses. Maybe you've traveled 30, 45 minutes. You've expended the gas. You've expended the time. Uh, and, and you go to three houses and nobody's there. Is your labor in vain? Well, do we believe that God recompenses, that God repays for the work that we do in the sense that that would a man soweth, that which he also reaps? That the Bible says that his word will not return void? That the Bible says that he that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed? will doubtless come forth bringing his sheaves with him? I mean, do we believe that or not? I think sometimes we work like we, it all depends on us, but we forget that really in the end, it all depends on God. We work like it all depends on us, but we have to pray and we have to believe that it really all depends on him because you could go oh for three uh, on a visit, but then leave a note at someone's door and it's just enough of a reminder or a track on someone's door is just enough of a reminder. Uh, I forgot about that church or it's been a while or wow, I've gotten into some real difficulties. I need to go there tomorrow and God could bring that person there. And even if he does, if they don't come, uh, that, that doesn't mean that what you did was empty or of no value. Now, I want to make sure that when we minister, we find the best possible ways to minister and there are some ways that are more valuable and there are some ways that maybe don't bring as many people. And I understand that. Uh, but at the same time, that when you give to the work of the Lord, it's never in vain. Because here's what the world says. You're wasting your time at church. You're wasting your time on a Sunday night. You're teaching a class of kids. You go out on Saturday and tell people about the Lord. What's the matter? Are you Jehovah Witness or something? 
You're a Mormon? What's the matter with you? No, I obviously I I do not wear a white tie and a, a white shirt and a tie on Saturdays when I go anywhere just because I don't want people to think I'm a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon. And I don't ride my bike either. That that helps as well. But but here here's what I know. When we work for the Lord, it's never in vain. It's never in vain. Do maybe you even ask yourself, does anyone even care that I teach? Does anyone care that I work on a van? Does anyone answer the door? You know, it's it doesn't matter if anyone knows or not. The Lord knows. It's not in vain. Every minute that you have invested in Liberty Baptist Church over the years has not been in vain. That time that God prompted you to do something to be a blessing to someone, saying, but I couldn't even give them a track. I couldn't even tell them about the Lord. Well, what's the point of even doing it? You don't know if you didn't plant. And then God brought someone else on their path later who watered. And then God gives the increase. If God tells you to do it, do it. Well, I mean, we, 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 had a, we had a ministry in Brockton a few, uh, a few weeks ago. And there was 15, 20 kids there. And there were some adults that were there. And not one of them's come to church. Not one of them's run the van. I mean, what a waste of time. What a, what a waste of our effort and our resources. You don't know what God will do with that. And you said, well, if, if I don't see it, then it's not going to. Oh, so you have to see it. And I have to see it. You know what that sounds like? The opposite of faith. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, obviously, we want these people to come. We, we want to help them. We want to encourage them. We want to follow up as best as we can. Uh, I want to find ways to follow up better with those people that come to that. And I, I want to look at that next year. You know, how can we, as, as we improve from, one, from the first time to the second time, how can we improve from the second time to the third time to make sure that fewer kind of slip from our fingers and we can follow up with some of them? Sure, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but in the end, you realize if you serve the Lord, it's not in vain. Period. End of story. There are no insignificant tasks when it comes to the Lord. It's only people who think their tasks are insignificant for the Lord. There are no insignificant tasks. Consider this, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Wherefore there, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do it all for his glory. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, and who, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. You know, when I serve others, I'm not even serving them. I'm serving Christ. Because that's what he's called me to do. So whether they shake my hand and say thanks, whether they walk away and don't even thank me at all, it was worth serving them. By the way, I seem to remember Jesus healing 10 lepers. Only one came back to thank him. Jesus knew only one would thank him. And he still healed all 10. Do you wonder if there's an example there for us? Jesus, knowing only one would truly understand and be thankful, he still decided to heal them all anyway. So for us, if only one out of 10 really reciprocates what we do, listen, we're just on the same return rate that Jesus Christ himself received. I'd say we're doing pretty well. So what do we do? We serve. We're, we're steadfast. I, I'm going to find a place. I'm going I'm to plant there in service. Then I'm going to be stable. I'm not just going to plant myself there. I'm going to make sure that I hold fast. I'm going to make sure that I stay where I need to stay, that I, I don't get pushed, that I'm going to stay on this spot for service, that our work is substantial, uh, that it's abounding. It's always abounding uh, in the work of the Lord and that our work is of substance. It's not in vain when we serve the Lord. Paul uses two ex examples of service. In Ephesians chapter 6 and in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 
he talks about the soldier. He says that we're soldiers. Therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life. They may please him that's chosen him to be a soldier. The servant is a soldier. What do we do? We boldly go forward. We don't allow the things of the world to hold us back. We're going forward for the cause of Christ because in the end, uh, we know that that's all we have uh, to take with us for eternity, that we're not taking our DVDs with us, that we're not taking our laptops with us or our iPads or our apps or anything else. Uh, what we're taking is what we have and rewards from the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to go to heaven. And all those things are going to just be gone. All those people that can't stop staring at their cell phones when they get to heaven, uh, well, all of a sudden, they won't be able to stop staring at the Lord Jesus Christ. So why don't we invest in those things now? We're soldiers, but also we're sportsmen. 1 Corinthians 9, 23 through 27 uh, says this, And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with ye. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And, even, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep my body under subjection. And oh, I'm sorry, and I keep under my body and bring it under subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Uh, the sportsman understands there's some things I have to put off to the side if I want a prize. Uh, Tom Brady has decided uh, that if he was going to win seven Super Bowl rings, there were some things that he was going to withstand. And it could very well be, and I can't say this uh, for certainty, but it could very well be that he's even willing to put away the, the things of the family, as we've seen in the news just lately. Uh, we know what he's willing to not eat. We know what he's willing not to drink. We know what he's willing to give up in many ways because he's been very public of sharing those things. Uh, but he is willing to give away all those things and maybe infinitely more for a ring, to hold up a trophy. And even Tom Brady, years ago, when he was still playing for the Patriots, says, you know, I won these Super Bowls after just the first couple of them. I won these Super Bowls, and I thought I would feel more fulfilled, and I don't. And I don't understand why. And I perhaps it's that drive at the age of 45, continuing to want to win, is trying to fill a hole that maybe football is not filling that only Jesus Christ can. But the sportsman understands, if I want to play this game, there's some things i got to give up. But how much more so for us, for the cause of Jesus Christ, for something that's not a game, something that's not a frivolity, but something that's real life. How much more will we be willing to give up those things? Here's what it says in, first, in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12. It says uh, that we are to forsake those uh, the, the sin that does so easily beset us and the weights. Remember, the sin that does so easily beset us is sin. But also the weights are those things that hinder us. They're not sin. Because if they were sin, they would go into the category of sin that does so easily beset us. But they're just things that just aren't important in the light of eternity so we can run the race. Just like a marathoner wouldn't run the Boston Marathon with ankle weights on. Because it doesn't make sense. But there's Christians who do that all the time. And then can't do what God's called them to do. We're soldiers. We're sportsmen for Christ. I want to serve, but how? Well, be steadfast. Be stable. Understand that your work is substantial. And understand that your work is to be of substance. And God can use us to do in this town what everyone says can't be done. I'm frankly tired of hearing people say, well, you know what year it is. People don't want to hear the gospel anymore. You know, we live in a blue state. 
You know that we live in an area where it's affluent. We have everything against us to start a church, to establish a church in this area. We have everything against us, but God. But God. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org, or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in His Word.